guys. Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and today I got a special guest, Mike Hernandez, who's joining me. And uh, if you guys know Mike, Mike is uh, Mike underscore team or Mike underscore team Fieldcraft, and he does a lot of stuff for our mobility stuff. But uh, I've actually asked Mike to come on because of his uh, unique and special role, I'd say, in society and his, his job and his life and what he does. Um, you know, something that we've gone f- uh, back and forth with uh, in episodes, we always talk about mental health issues because mental health is a significant issue in the veteran community as well as general society. And a lot of a lot of times when we talk about mental health, it's related to the, the veteran community and first responder community. But there's a whole world that exists underneath the veil that people can't see, that they don't see, that they refuse to see, mm-hmm. uh, that exists in mental health issues that compound themselves and, and you know the the illustration of that in a negative way is obviously the the violent crimes and the um you know active shootings that we see uh, across our society so one thanks for for being here mike thanks for taking the time out of your day man thanks for having me here man i, I appreciate it honored yeah you know mike mike i think i discovered mike at a phoenix course right yeah like a yeah. carbine course mm-hmm. or something like that <laughs> and mike had a um a mobility platform he had a cool jeep and he was tricked out um, but he, there was a sense about him, you know, there was a, I could, I could, I have a, I'm a good <laughs> indicator of good people, man. I, and that's, <laughs> that's something that I think, uh, my mother and father gifted me with, but, um, I like to surround myself with good people, but not even realizing, uh, for a while, it took a, mm-hmm. it took a while until I realized what Mike did for a living. So if you want to tell them what, what do you actually do? What is your actual, your duty, uh, title? Mm-hmm. And then what, what does that entail? Uh, well, technically speaking, I am in the last level of in-home care for wards of the state. So what that means is kids who um, are either in foster care or um, for whatever the circumstances, sometimes it's even unaccompanied minors, whatever the case is in the state of Arizona, if there is a, a, a child who needs extensive behavioral services, um, I'm involved. And what that also entails is they live in my home like a foster care and we provide them normalcy, um, a family. And, and I mean, normal is such a interesting word because what is normal? But, you know, they, they become part of our family and we work with them. The model is 90 days. Um, and we have a case plan where they're either reunified back to their biological family or we're moving them towards uh, adoption. And uh, it's like a thought. You'll hear me say, you know, oh, I'm a foster parent. And, and that's the very uh, beginning stages of what we do. Uh, but if it's more um, stabilization base. You know, how do we get this this little one um, um, to be healthy? Yeah, and we're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about kids that are displaced uh, physically. We're talking about kids that come from serious, significant, yes. violent. Yes. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking uh, situations that these kids are coming from, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, it can be, uh, it, it can be everything from cartel involvements, the parents get busted to traffic stops to where, you know, maybe the parents were under the influence and, and the state steps in and says, you know, whatever the state deems as unsafe, you know, they filter into foster care first before they get to me. And then there's several levels to where behaviorally these, these children are presenting with certain behaviors that the beginning levels of foster cannot uh, facilitate. So the objective I'm assuming is to get them into a stable home for you to assess them right. um, and then create a plan of action to change their behavior, change their 
their scope of life? Absolutely. Um, when I get a placement packet, well, first off, I'm involved with an agency um, who takes in, um, let's say, 30 packets a month. Um, and in our agency, we have something like 25 families. And our, my agency specifically is really great about matching the specific kids need to the specific family. So like for us, for example, you know, uh, we're, we're outdoorsy, we're, we're uh, you know, jeepers, we're hunters, we, you know, are very active is, is the way that we're classified. You know, I myself, I'm, I'm 34, going to be 35. So I am still on, on the younger end of the providers. And, you know, I started when I was 25 years old. Um, a lot of the providers are um, a little older, you know, maybe 40s in, 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 in that time frame. So I see a lot of kids who, who need, you know, an, an active male, strong male role model. And what, you know, I know you can't go into detail about some of these, uh, these personal individual stories, but what are some examples of some of the tragic stories that you've been exposed oh, to? Oh, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's been several instances. Behavior health is interesting because it'll, it'll go through like fads. So recently, in, you know, growing up, you know, in the 80s and 90s, if you remember, if you're that age, ADHD was like, everybody had ADHD and everybody was being prescribed stimulants. And, and, you know, I think about it and even now I can see how active we are and man, people back then would probably consider me ADHD, but that's, that's huge, right? So you get a little boy and, and my license is for zero to 18 male or female, but I like to stick with, with males just because, um, the girls tend to have a little bit different issue and, and skill set. but you have a little boy coming in, you know, and, and he's presenting with destructive, you know, behaviors He's breaking things in the house. He's attacking his parents, you know, or foster parents, what, what have you, you know, in uresis, in capricis, you know, behaviors that, that are really scary to, 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 to beginning level um, foster parents. And really, when you get down to it, well, you know, he comes home from school um, and we'll ask, you know, what, what is his normal day like? And, you know, he's playing video games for like eight hours and he's, you know, not getting out there and, and getting... Um, the release or whatever you want to call it that he needs as a, as a, a as a diagnosed ADHD kid, you know, and, and you, you sit in these meetings and you're like, well, you know, I wouldn't be able to just sit there in the house and, and, and I would go crazy too. No, you know what I mean? Like you just, you, you see these things and a lot of it has to do with environment. So when we're looking at kids, you know, it, that's a really minor behavior that you'll see in comparison to some of the other and that's things. A fo- that's a foster uh, implemented behavior right? absolutely absolutely so before that they were exposed to significant trauma absolutely sexual trauma is the worst of the worst as as babies absolutely absolutely and you know so i'll I'll get like a placement packet and it'll have you know their their basic information and it'll it'll have a lot of what they're presenting with you know and and it'll be scary you know there's instances where 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 providers get hurt you know uh, um um, there was an instance that I heard of, of, of a young man who actually broke his foster mom's back with a bat. And, you know, you, you read that on paper and you're like, what in God's earth is going on? You know, and, and you get into these meetings and it's like this little seven-year-old, 45 pounds, soaking wet. And, and your, your mind just goes to this place to where, you know, we need to figure this out, you guys. And, and you go into like this, this detective mode. And they come in and a lot of the, a lot of the, the past history is not going to be there. You know, uh, the parents are going to, aren't going to come in and say, yeah, you know, I was on methamphetamines 
you know, when this, when this kid was in utero and they're not going to admit to these things. And, and, and you have this list of behaviors and you put your, they like to point at the kid. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And society does that too. Oh my God. You know, look at this, this animal, he does this, that, and, and you're sitting in there. Well, lo, you know, lo and behold, you, you spend some time with this person or you just talk or you go, you know, to therapy or, or what have you, or you just take a Jeep ride for granted. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not, you know, you have to have a PhD to get involved with, with, with these children and you find out, whoa, you know, there was some sexual abuse. There was some physical abuse and from people who are supposed to protect them, you know, from let's say mom, you know. So you have a kid who's like targeting women and, you know, he's hitting her or doing whatever. And then you get down to it and bio mom was, you know, sexually abusing him or, or selling him for sex or, you know, child pornography. I mean, I mean, it's just really, really, you know, terrible things done to this poor kid. And you – and what's fascinating is – and you talked to me about this a little bit before the podcast about how, um, you know, there's instances in a young, your young childhood where if you don't get that nurturing, yeah. if you don't get certain things that are implemented to create these neural pathways, these, uh, this foundation for being a decent, mm-hmm. you know, normal behaving human being, it, it's unrecoverable. Right. It's, it's not like you could recover from something like that. So a behavior that's found in adulthood or adolescence at a later age, um, it could be a, you know, a disability essentially where they can't find the fix because yeah, you can't recondition uh, something that's biologically ingrained, but it's absent in the mind. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're people, you know, we're designed to have specific needs, you know, And, and naturally people go to uh, you know, oh yeah, you got to drink water, you got to eat, you got to take care of yourself. Well, yeah, that's definitely like the foundation, but there's some emotional things that need to happen at the same time. You know, being a parent and having your own children, for those of you, you know, who, who understand this, you naturally want to hug and show affection, or maybe you're not, you know, touchy-feely, but you, you'll, you'll go on a trip or, or just spend time or, or some kind of way that you're showing attention. You know, some of these kids in the worst case scenarios don't even get hugged after they're born. You know, their, their parents are, are, are in such a terrible place to where maybe they physically can't, maybe they're too high or messed up or, or in slavery. I mean, geez, you know, there's so many things that I've seen to where these poor babies literally grow up without that kind of affection, that natural touch, that natural yearning that their bodies naturally need that they're crying for, you know, and, and the brain is so underdeveloped, you know, as, as a baby that, they can't process that. You can't stop and say, oh, you know, my mom's a junkie. That's why I didn't get this. No, it does damage. You know, in some cases, the abuse is so extreme that it'll create an actual physical scar in their brain. And then the brain will grow over it to try and protect or, or repair. And, and, and that'll affect them the rest of their lives. What is, so what is an example of um, a child who's not nurtured, right? Who's, not, who's neglected, yeah. um, not loved, not touched. What are some of the, the uh, disabilities that you see later yeah. in life psychologically? Well, you, you know, and behaviorally you see it with us. So there have been some instances that I've seen where you will have children who are just void of empathy whatsoever. You know, they just they, they cannot relate. They cannot connect. There, there's no sympathy involved. And when you operate from a place of, of no emotions, you know, you get yourself into trouble big time. I mean, there was an instance where... You know, I've had several fires start in my house and we start seeing these things and, and we sit down and we start processing and, 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 you know, any, from any age, from, from seven to to 16 to 15, you know, on up. And 
You know, it's like, well, why did you do that? Oh, I just felt like it, you know, and, and, and their faces will present you know, blunt affect. There won't be any emotions. You know, if I hurt, you know, someone's dog or set accidentally set a fire or said even mean things to people, you know, you, you feel, oh man, I shouldn't have said that afterwards. Even if it's not immediately, you know, eventually you'll get to that point, hopefully. (laughs) And with them, it's just, it's gone. It's not going to happen. It's not. So what you have to to do is, is as an interventionist, what I do is we sit down and say, you know, I understand this is the way I would have felt, you know, this is possibly a way you could have felt. And then we would go on course to teach this individual, you know, not how to feel it, but how to understand it intellectually. And that's going to be their journey the rest of their life, you know, is they physically or emotionally, they can't relate in that sense. But if they're smart enough, then you know what, they can sit there and say, okay, I remember I learned this. They can it's understand right. the reason, yes. the logic and try to figure it out intellectually. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. If, you know, what, what does success look like when you take a child and, you know, who, who comes from a, a horrific background of, of abuse, neglect, and then you're doing this repair, you know, this, this, uh, your, this reconstruction yeah. of their minds, um, what does success look like on the tail end of that? Is there an end state? You know, there, there is. Um, so with any placement that I get, with any packet that we receive, it comes with a course of goals. And it could be anywhere from just one single goal to three, you know. And, and like I said, you know, I'm not a clinician. I'm, I'm not a therapist. I'm not, you know, a psychologist or a psychiatrist that is on the team. But we sit together and we say, look, this child is presenting with, with certain behaviors. What, what are going to be the things that we need to see progress-wise in order for him to return, let's say, just to regular foster care or even back to the biological family? And we'll lay it out. It's all case by case. You know, it can be everything from um, having appropriate sexual boundaries, appropriate non-sexual boundaries, um, to just being independent. Independent skills is huge for, you know, kids who are above 16. You know, because as you know, when they turn 18, they they become an adult and they got to take care of themselves. Um, Everything from just managing, you know, impulsive behavior. I've I've experienced a a little one who, you know, was six years old and and he was so impulsive that, you know, we'd be driving and... uh, Oh, he would see a dog. Oh, there's a dog. And he'd try to open the door and get out of the car while we're going, you know, 45 wow. miles down there. You know, just that impulsive where they don't have that, you know, that, whoa, stop, don't do that. You're going to get hurt. You know, it could be full gambit, like I said. Wow. That's, yeah. So you, you are the, the, the stop point in which foster care goes wrong or foster care is not the answer. Yeah, yeah. And they come to you to return potentially to foster care to be able to get through the age of 16 to 18 um, and then somehow um, get back into normal society. Yes. What, what effect What effect have you seen or is your understanding of how children are affected genetically? Mm. You know, like we, I know we talked about mm-hmm. some, some genetic stuff. Like if somebody's parents are, you know, have all these significant issues, mental health issues, are they passing this down biologically to their children? And then obviously their environment is affecting or displacing yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it, it's, it's hard for me to kind of answer this question because a, a lot of times I'll step into this and, and someone's already determined, oh, th- this kid's going to be this. This kid's going to be bad. You know, genetically, look, we have their, their parents' background or, or you know, their, preser- their parents present with this and it, it automatically puts a mindset into the team, well, you know, it's just a lost cause. But the, the, the facts are there, okay? You know, genetically speaking, just like you get brown eyes, black hair, 
you know, your height, whatever you want to call it, there are some genetic traits that will pass down. And that's just, you know, that's the way, that's the way we're designed as humans. So I've even seen instances to kids who are, you know, adopted straight out of the hospital. You know, mom has babies already said, you know, we're, we're not in a place where we can manage this and and they have their own separate set of, of issues. And, you know, I'll be involved just as a friend or, or whatever to this, to this family and six years will pass. And then, well, you know, little, you know, um, uh, son or, or daughter is starting to present with the exact same thing mom and dad, you know, had or is struggled with. And, and that's, and that's the truth. You know, they're, they're unfortunately at, at that point, you know, you hope that the people who adopted had a good understanding of, look, this is still, you know, what we're going to take on because unfortunately there is a large percentage of people who will disrupt that adoptive placement because of that. But yes, to, to, to answer your question, yes, you will see those traits genetically passed on. Now, we talked a little bit about the history of the kind of like how this um, this shift in the institutions yeah. took place. <clears throat> Can you go over uh, over that? I know yeah. you talked about like the you know the, the psychological wards. Absolutely. You know, in in the in the olden days, I don't know the exact time frames. You know, let's let's call it fifties, sixties, seventies. Yeah. Um, the the way the behavioral health system was set up was we had these psych wards. You know, where where people could could get committed for you know, breaking crimes, but at the same time having serious psychological issues. And we just clumped them in a room and, and there was a large um, occurrence of abuse. So as time passed, um, you know, the government shut them down. They said, okay, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. No more uh, psychiatric wards in, in the sense that they were back then. And they like just a released, prison. Yeah, a prison. essentially, yes. yes. For, with no psychological really... Mm-hmm system in place to help these people they just, were yeah yeah understaffed you know like i said abuses or rampant through it so they shut them down and this population was just released so you know you have a behavior health system who basically goes bye-bye you know in that time frame and in the entire united states in, in the entire united states right because yeah, federal of, institutions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the infrastructure isn't really set up at this time to facilitate everyone you know, and it's and it's kind of well, that's a, another conversation. Well, how could we be? But those people get released, you know. And and if you think about it, you know, me myself being thirty four, I was born eighty three. You know, you know, so that makes me almost thirty five. Will be thirty five next month. And um, you have that population of adults who whose children are now at my age. You know, uh, and then you have the, millen- the, the sorry, I'm starting the millennials who are stepping in. You know, and and we're starting to see these behavioral problems that are, are escalating because of the environments. You know, there, there wasn't services available back in that time. And even just, you know, the generations, like even my father, you know, and his dad and their relationships, you know, there wasn't a lot of that, um, um, I guess, processing, you know, it was, it was just don't say anything, you know, this is how a man behaves and, and, and you, you, you go that route. You suck it up. You suck just up, suck it yeah. up, yeah, you know? And um, I mean, as time passes, you know, the, the system is making attempt but okay, let me, let me give you a statistic here. So like in Arizona, there are 15, about 15,000 um, displaced children. 15,000 15, kids that are displaced, displaced in one state. In one state. One state. In one state. And, you know, a lot of them will present with certain behaviors. And, and you know, the, the thing about foster care is, is these people are just, you know, salt of the earth. You know, they just want to make a difference. Um, it, the, the system is just designed when you're in foster care to where, you know, this kid needs a, you'll, you'll get a call. There won't be any background. You know, it, it could be a baby who's, 
you know, just dropped off at the office at DCS or, or a kid DCS who is, is Department of Child Safety. They're, yeah. they're the ones formerly known as CPS in Arizona. Um, and they just need a place to stay. And, and you have a foster parent who's licensed and, and, and they go through a, a, just real basic PS maps, you know, a 10 week course. I think you can do it five weeks now and a background check and then you can it. receive a child and then you can just, yeah. And you don't know the history, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. It's just, you know, I want to help out. This poor little person needs a place to stay. I'll, I'll be here. How yeah. long does that last? Oh man. That, I mean, that's, it's case by case. Yeah, it, it really is. And you know, it really is, you know, best case scenario, the kid gets there, you know, uh, goes to school, it becomes a part of the, the family and then the family will work with DCS on whatever the case plan is. I mean, really, that's what it is. You said there's kids sleeping on floors. Bro, there, yes, yes. So, you know, the the 15,000 is a rough estimate, you know, and it can be anywhere from 13 to about 15. Um, and the system is so saturated that there aren't enough, you know, beds. There there aren't enough uh, um, foster homes. There aren't enough shelters. There's not enough infrastructure, right. period, just period. to house them. Right. So what happens in that case is, well, DCS has to, you know, uh, take responsibility for some. And unfortunately, there are some instances where these kids will go sleep in the DCS office because there isn't enough, you know, resources or, or infrastructure. Yeah, we're, you know, what frustrates me is we're like so overly abundantly worried about international aid and helping other countries yeah. that are that that have issues and we we're, we're never looking internal mm-hmm. to our own states communities mm-hmm. realizing that in the in the state of Arizona which I you know Phoenix you know there's, there's pockets of civilization but I look at it as more of a rural state compared to to other states yeah and the fact that you have 15,000 children, children with no minors. homes yeah. with no no place to call home yeah. that they're living in foster care that they're struggling and then you know one one thing and I don't even know if this is a statistic that is even tracked what's interesting is you said the history of of kind of how you know the the psychological words let let everybody out and then it's a compounding issue 60s 70s 80s there's not really infrastructure or institutional support yeah. there's not a lot of federal programs and then you look at the kids today who are doing these um, egregious violent acts like active shooting like in Texas for example the kid yeah, who kills yeah. um, 10 people one of them uh, a teacher none of them students and you wonder like hey what's the history there because it yeah, absolutely because we you know it's not always like we always look at the person the individual especially when it comes to children and them doing something crazy and we like to go hey they were a basket case or hey they didn't have a file what about the parents? Right, right. You know, because w- what was their life like? What mm-hmm. What is the parents' file? Mm-hmm. What did the grandparents' file? You know, can we track this back in history and look at not them as individuals because we're so quick to judge children. It, you know, like like you said, you know, the kid with the baseball bat. Yeah. It's like, it's a child. Yeah. And, and we want to look at them and go, oh, let's just institutionalize them. Yeah. Let's lock them away because they're... They're uh, they're not recoverable to be able to simulate in normal society. It's like that's a child, man. Right, right. It's it, a person. It, and I remember you told me this story about the uh, uh, they heard you were fostering somebody, and the neighbors had come oh, over yeah. and they confronted you. And that yes. just that is like this the, the stereotypical way we look at things in society. It's, now. it's very true. You know, I've even heard some parents say, "Well, just just spank them." Just you know, no, that's not. Yeah, you, you you're talking about a kid yeah. who's physically beaten, beaten up. It's, it's right, yeah. right, right. It, you know, I came from that background, man. Yeah. You know, my my dad 
God bless him, bro. He, he, you know, a strong Christian background. And, and I, and I agree with that, you know, I, I agree with, with, with consequences in that sense, but we're not dealing with that population. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, we're, we're dealing with, with kids who have been through hell and back. I mean, things that we, for me, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll just break it down to myself. You know, when, when I first started getting involved, I was just volunteering and, and, and it, for, for, for people who are asking, how do I get involved? You know, big brothers, big sister is a huge uh, resource you can get in. You know, they'll, they'll do a quick background check and they'll just send you out, you know, go, go take this kid out for ice cream, go do whatever. And, and I started volunteering because my parents, uh, my, my dad's a pastor and my mom's a, a master's degree social worker and therapist in, in the community. And, um, one of the cases that she was working on was, was, was uh, a little boy. He was six years old and he was, you know, they had already d- determined that he was, you know, super ADHD and, and man, he's just a problem. And, you know, at the time I was like, what, 21 years old. And, and I just went and threw a ball with him. You know, we went and ran around at the, at the shelter. You know, there, there's a couple shelters here um, that I was involved in. And, and the director is of, of that program actually said, Hey, you know, I noticed that you're really good. You know, why don't you come and we'll start doing some trainings. And, and that's how I got involved, you know, but, but these kids have just been through the mill and, and back on the neighbor issue, you know, people automatically, and, and, and I was guilty of this also, and, and it's still kind of a learning process is we have to stop and say, my feelings aren't important. You know, we have to stop and say, you know, this, this is a child. Uh, how, how do I help out? You know, how do I put aside my feelings about how disgusting I think their behaviors is, you know, how, how, how vile I think, you know, this, this individual is, or, or, or however fearful, because that's really what it is, you know, however fearful I am of this, this person's need and, and how, can I, how can I help within, you know, my spectrum, within what I can do. You know, I've, I've been in situations to where, you know, people will see me, you know, and, and I'm Hispanic and, and young and, you know, I'll have <laughs> kids who are multicultural, you know, or, or different ages and, and I'll, I'll get the sideways look like, what the heck, you know? man, you must've gotten around cause you have an Asian kid with you, a, a, a native American kid or a white kid. And it's just like, no, it's just, you know, I'm volunteering or these are the kids who are placed in my house and you automatically get that, that snap judgment, you know? And, and that's the hard part is, is kind of getting into that mindset to where you're like, well, no, there, there's probably a story, you know, what, what can I do to, to help out or make a difference? That's great, man. How many kids have you fostered? Since me, you've been doing this, me personally, I've in in the ten years that I've been involved, I have been involved with six cases. Six cases. Six cases. Yeah. And what's the longest case that you actually done? The longest case that I've actually done is ongoing, and it has been six years of the ten that I've been involved with this uh, with this level of care. Now, your your wife is a nurse. Yes. And she's part of this process. Absolutely. So so the way that it goes down is. Um, you have to have a minimum of year experience um, w- with some kind of like, like Big Brother, from what I understand, will be um, sufficient as experience, a year of experience there or some kind of child care, uh, daycare, or anything like that or foster care or have a, you know, a four year degree in you know, child development or something like that. Then um, you reach out uh, to an agency who gets you licensed with the state. And then after that, you do um, the, the, it's called therapeutic, you do the therapeutic portions of it and and you finalize for me it took us about a year to get licensed um in that time my wife was uh or is an er nurse um and automatically qualifies for that and my volunteering and and the stuff i did with my my family in the past was already a qualification then once that happens the most in my opinion the most important portion of receiving um um, a, a case or whatever comes in and that's matching 
you know, if, if you get a kid who, who, like I said, is, is um, extremely ADHD or hyperactive or whatever you want to call it, and you have a family who's not able to be there, roll with the punches, run around, you know, play sports, whatever, you're, you're going to have major issues. And that's just a real, um, um, I guess, minimal way of describing it because you, you will see very scary, uh, you know, behaviors to, to, to people that, you know, they come in and, and, and you'll see a kid who presents with, you know, like urine or, or, or feces behaviors, inuresis, incupresis, and that'll just be like, no, I don't want to deal with that. Or a kid who's sexually reactive, you know, if you have children in your house, you don't want to deal with, with that. And, and those are the things that need to be ironed out before you take a placement. You get a packet and you see this, you know, okay, what, what, are, my, what are my limits? What are my, you know, uh, deal breakers? And you sit down with a good agency and, and, and they'll place you and they'll say, look, I think you're perfect for this because X, Y, Z. And then, and then you go from there. So I've been very fortunate to where, you know, my, my wife is my rock, man. She supports me um, and us and, and, and our own two children and, and, and in this. And together, you know, it really is a team effort. We're able to, to, to make a difference and work with these, with these kiddos. Now, I, I, I remember we talked a little bit about uh, primal functioning brain. Yeah. That's something that you, yeah. you brought up to me. Because a lot of the times that w- what people don't understand is there's no, uh, they don't have that frontal lobe reasoning mm-hmm. logic. They can't figure things. Number one, they're children, but right. two, it's uh, it's underdeveloped frontal lobe. Yeah, and so they're they're primal functioning, and they're just trying to survive. That's it. And, th- and then that survival mm-hmm. that's that's uh, taking place in uh, you know their infancy yep. develops into their adolescence, and they're still functioning that way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. Okay, so for for natural uh, for natural growth, you know. The, the frontal lobe in, in 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 adults doesn't develop fully until about 25, you know. And and when you think about that, and we're not talking about any abuse or trauma or anything like that. That's just across the board. Around 25 is when you stop being so self-centered or self-focused and thinking about others. So you you throw in abuse, you know, frontal lobe damage, uh, uh, sexual abuse, what have you. You know, the brain isn't able to process those things. I mean, there's even instances in you know, um, I was talking to some of the uh, the veterans out here and, you know, there's instances to where in combat, you know, your, your brain will do things where it'll just shut off and you can't see certain things. And they, they call it, you know, traumatic blindness or, you know, I don't know too much about that, but it's, it's very similar to these kids to where they they can't process that the person who's supposed to be taking care of them and meeting their needs and providing this is abusing them, you know, so it causes problems in their physical brain as well as emotional state. You know, so you have a kid who has to fend for themselves in, in worst cases has, you know, five or six siblings that they got to care for also. And they themselves are like seven, you know, so you have this and, and the, this, this terminology we use when they go into these modes, when they're triggered, whatever it may be, you know, I've seen kids trigger with, with nail polish, you know, because it was their abusers, uh, color or smells, you know, stuff like that. You get, you got to be real cognizant of those things. You know, the, the way you look, um, the way you walk around, the way you uh, talk to other people, you know, those things are potential triggers for these children. And, and when they go into this mode, we, we call it primal functioning brains. And, and it's just it's just basic stuff. You know, y- you know, you don't have to think about breathing. You don't have to think about your heart um, uh, pumping blood. So those are the primal things. It's, it's almost like, you know, primal, you think caveman or knuckle dragger, you know, their, their body goes in that stuff and you go into fight or flight and for children, it'll present as behaviors. It won't be like an adult who's physically going to do, you know, extreme things. Yeah. That's, that's so interesting. Cause you know, when we even use the terminology PTSD, we associate yeah. it with veteran first responder, like, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because it puts things into perspective for myself. You know, I go to combat, I'm presented with a significant traumatic event. Yeah. Well, that's one issue, right? And then how do we treat that? Well, Veteran Affairs has all these systems. We have advocates. We have nonprofit programs. We have all this hustle and bustle and making it a big deal. Yeah. But the reality is these kids live every single day experiencing right. trauma yes. on, 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 on levels in which your brain can't even comprehend. Right. I remember you told me about a, a father or somebody who, who was in an abusive strung up and hung yeah. one, of the, one, of their, one of their siblings or something like that. Because witnessed it. And, and then you, you, you think about that. It's like, yeah, this isn't an IED where you're losing a friend. You're talking about waking up every single mm-hmm. day in an mm-hmm. environment where you are you are terrorized, and then these these children, because um, because this is do- we're talking about the documented cases, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. We're talking about the people who who actually have a chance, right? What about the people every single day who live in our society who have been exposed to that kind of trauma and they're trying to function yeah. as human beings as adults, not understanding why. They can't hold a relationship. Why right. they're going crazy? Why they're on the verge of suicide? Why they're on the verge of going uh, insane? Absolutely. And so you know, it's it is a gross, um, grossly under uh, talked about situation in yes. our society that is is really a problem. No, it is. It is, and it and it's it's interesting. You know, I have reservations even even talking to, let's say, somebody new or somebody I don't know that can handle. Hey, look, there's a sibling group in the system where their dad murdered, you know, one of the siblings in front of the children, like we talked about, you know, wrapped a, a cord around their neck and hung the, the baby from the, the shower head. And these kids witnessed it. You know, you know what I mean? Like I, I, just even saying that, it, you know, they're babies, you know, to, to the point to where it'll cause like, you know, paralysis in their bodies. Like the, 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 the trauma is so extreme. They black out. Yeah, yeah. And and then so that creates a problem to where you know it'll scar the brain, and then later in the, in their in their lives you know they're experiencing things to where they lose time or there's disassociation and stuff and and you know th- these are kids like like you said you know you can go to veteran affairs and and say this is kind of bothering me or they'll ask you a question you can answer it in child development these little ones they, they can't identify emotions they, they they can't tell you hey my heart hurts I'm feeling this way I'm scared. It'll just present, you know, they'll wet themselves in a, in a, at Disneyland. You know, one time I, I took one kid to Disneyland and we're all like on, on a ride and it just got a little bit too, too much for him and he peed all over me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and I, I remember feeling immediately frustrated, but, you, but what you got to do is, is remember, no, what's going on? So you go into like, like, like a problem solver mode and you got to put others first before you do that, you know? And, and like we're talking about, it's constant for them. It's constant. They constantly live in this situation to where they don't know if they're going to eat. You know, they they'll, they'll, they can develop trust with you, but in the back of their mind, it'll they're be like, hoarding yeah, food. yeah, they're hoarding food. They're, they're stealing, you know, they're, they're beating someone up for their lunch money or they're a bully at school. And really they're, they're trying to survive. Oh, what, what can we do? What can be done now for number one, for people who are listening that want to help. Yeah. That's that's actually tangible that they could do. And it's, two, like what what can we do in the future? What needs to be done for you, the future? You know, foster care needs help in across the United States. Across the United, yeah, that's just it. And and you know, this is a conversation that I'll be willing to have with anybody privately. 
DCS has has a bad reputation in our state. I mean, they just changed their name from CPS because of some of the things that were going on. And, and I don't want to bash them by any means because they are swamped. You know, when, when you talk about state representation or the, these kids' guardians, it's one worker. Typically, from what I've seen, you know, it could be someone fresh out of college with, with a degree, 21 years old, who's thrust into a situation to where they have 35, 40 kids on their caseload. And they're supposed to, on mandatory meetings, meet one a month. You, you, how are you going to do that? On top of court visits, on top of, you know, the home stuff that they got to do, on top of all that, this one person is supposed to manage that many children and be involved. Logistically, it's, it's, it's pretty much impossible, you know. And then to do it within, let's say, an eight-hour work shift, yeah. Monday through Friday. You know, to get involved would be to contact your local churches, um, an agency that you see um, online, or even, you know, the, the state. Call DCS and say, hey, look, I'd like to get involved. Call Big Brothers. I'd like to get, you know, involved. And they will put you in the right direction. The system is difficult, though. That's why I say I will have this conversation with you. Out of the 10 years, I, I will be very honest with you. The most difficult part has been dealing with the system and the way that legally they have to manage or, you know, aren't able to manage the cases. You know, the behaviors are, are, are tough. You, you'll learn to deal with them. You know, you sit down, you go through training, you'll experience them. And within the first year, you'll be able to tell if, if you got the right stuff to deal with, with what's going on. That's typical for us. We see about a year. And then after that, if, if, if you're still able to manage, then you'll be good. But reach out. You know, I'm a huge resource. Find me. You know, DM me on Instagram. My email's now on my, you can email me. Um, and if you're in the state of Arizona, you know, I can, I can send you to a couple of resources that will help you out. But even just in your communities, you guys, if, if you're going, if you're going to church and, and, and you see a kid who's, who's, uh, you know, uh, presenting just, you know, bad attitude or, you know, th- those things typically are for, are for a reason. It's not, oh, that kid's just, you know, he's got a problem. Reach out. You know, ask him, hey, you doing all right? You want to go here? You want to go there? You know, be involved in youth services, whatever. I mean, it's, it's, I say this all the time. Kids do not expect us to be perfect. They just expect us to be present. And that doesn't mean you sit there and you watch TV with them. <laughs> yeah. You know? You don't hand them an iPad. Yeah, you don't hand them an iPad. Check out. Yeah. It could be just a simple thing. You well, know, the, the, one of the things you explained to me, Mike, was the, uh, the overlaying aspect yeah. of off-roading, right? Yeah. How, even posturing, right? Because yes. someone, you know, when I, I'm an alpha male, I talk to another alpha male, we're squared up on each other. Yes. You do that to a child who's been exposed to abuse. Right. You, you could break them down. Absolutely. You could change their behavior, their mind. Absolutely. So, how, like, explain that whole okay. therapeutic approach to that. I'm, I'm very proud of this because this is something that I didn't realize I was doing, you know, and, and through, the, through the past 10 years, and like I said, I have a really great relationship with my, my director. She's like, you know, you, what you're doing is perfect. And essentially what happened is, you know, I like to work on Jeeps. I'm, I'm the Jeep guy in the group. And um, what I started doing is, is for a kid who, who maybe they don't understand wh- wh- what they like, you know, what interests them, then I just include them in things that I like, you know. Hey, I got a Jeep, you know. Um, we'll rotate the tires together, change the oil, you know, real simple things. And then on the extreme end, you know, we'll throw a suspension in there. We'll weld some stuff in if they can handle it or they're older. But the best time that I have had and the most work that I have done um, with, with my kiddos is when we take an eight-hour trip to like Crown King. And, you know, if the kid's old enough and they can sit in the front seat, you know, your, your, your proximity to them is perfect because you, you line up. You're like shoulder to shoulder in this vehicle. You're not towering over them. You know, you're not in their face. You're not yelling at them because of the things they did. They're able to look up the window. Yeah, yeah. They can engage when they want to engage. Right. They don't feel threatened. And you just process about life. How was school? 
dang, you see that ponderosa pine out there? Thing is huge. Oh, you know what? We're, we're, we're at the cedars now. That means we're past 10,000 feet or whatever. You know, just random conversations to where you're just present. That's all it is. That's when I see the most work done. That's when I see, well, you know what? I have something to tell you. And then they just start disclosing and, and, and it's like a waterfall and they get this monkey off their back, you know, and, and they start doing the work and that's where I come in. Then I've gathered the information. I can go back to the team and say, look, this is why we're seeing, you know, uh, outbreaks at school, invading the restroom, you know, sexualized games that they're trying to play, uh, predatory behaviors. This is what happened, you know, and they've been in the system 10 years, 15 and years, and nobody's, yeah, yeah. An yeah. overland road trip ex- and, uh, extracted yes, that. Yes. Dude, that's impactful, man. And, and, you know, the cool part about it, too, is, is they, they have pride over what we built. You know, they see the Jeep on Instagram or, or with the Fieldcraft, you know, logos on it. And, and they know, man, I, I physically put my hands to that thing and, and I was a part of that. Now it's, you know, with, with, with the guys over at, you know, those things are such uh, steam boosters, you know. And, and, and you, wouldn't, you wouldn't guess because, you know, we think it's this huge... I don't know, like magic potion or, 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 or meds. Yeah. Or, med- oh, that's another story or meds or, or some kind of, you know, it's too much. It really isn't. You just have to spend time. Like I said, I always try to find the things that I like. And if I see that, you know, that, that tingle in their eye or whatever you want to call it, or that, oh, I might be involved. You know, that's where we go. And I, and I let them decide, you know, it's almost like it's, it, it, it's like occurring to me. It's almost like you're taking them back to a primal state yeah. Right. Which is, yeah. you know, when you're overlanding, you're you're in a natural state of like observation, True. you're relaxed. Mm-hmm. And it's almost one of the primal uh, functions that are aligned with resourcing the trauma because they're not overwhelmed with technology, Absolutely. with, uh, you know, uh, other people's behaviors yeah. and all these psychological impacts. And they could actually get to a point which they could talk about it Absolutely. And, or or even resource that information because they're more primal. No, that's absolutely the truth. You know, we talk about environment all the time. And, and you know, each each team member has their own specific, you know, uh, uh, area. You know, if, if you're a, a psychiatrist, you know, you're, you're thinking, okay, how's the brain interacting chemically, you know? But if you're a social worker or, or an interventionist like myself, you're thinking, you know, let's create this environment. And how amazing is it for anybody, any of us, to, to get back to nature, you know, to get out in these pines, you know, like this morning it was like, what 58 degrees you know the 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 sun's was you know the rays were shining through you know the 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 trees and it's like the spiritual you know uh, experience you're having and and these kids have only experienced trauma you know just for a healthy person that's amazing but you create this environment it's just you one-on-one with them or they get to experience the family dynamic you know you're right you get out into these places and we're very fortunate in arizona you know where we have these we're not hitting you know like marked trails sometimes sometimes we're just out in the middle of nowhere you know, there, there's nothing to worry about. You don't have the hustle bustle of the city. Um, there are ways to do it in the city too. I'm not knocking that, but you're right. It is primal. It is getting back to, you know, nature and, and taking, you know, breaths, which is also part of what we talk about a lot. Well, let's, man, I want to do, what I want to do is just like, this is just popping in my head. Can we communicate to like the, the big brother, sister program and like maybe, I don't know, like schedule, um, like an overland trail day to where we, they all show up and we get them in rigs. They get to pick the rigs they want to get in. And then we spend the day with them and, and do something like that. You know, it has been my experience where any of these agencies would be ecstatic. Just the fact that you called them, they, they would even be ecstatic just to have the rigs show up. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Um, I don't Show know. and tell. Yeah. It literally, it's like, you know, whenever you see like the kids at the fire department and, and the firefighters let them in, they show them the, the fire engine stuff. It would be, I think, the exact same Let's way. do it. Let's figure out how to Absolutely. do it and sustain it Absolutely. for a longer duration of time. Let's do it like whether it's quarter or once mm-hmm. a month, whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out how to do it because, you know, obviously we have the exposure to like reach yeah. out and have people show up. Mm-hmm. But this is something maybe, it's just a small start, but maybe Absolutely. it's something that just can help, man. Because we need to do something, man. It, it drives you. me uh, it drives me bananas to to think about how much we utterly focus on all the world's problems yeah. and we don't even look it's, inside of our seriously. own neighborhoods and communities. Seriously. And then we and then we wonder, we go, we go, we're facing a mental health epidemic. It's right. like, well, what are you doing about it? Right. Well, the greatest start point for me in thinking about this problem set is the children. Because <laughs> these children the future, are right. gonna grow yep. up to be the same people that potentially are starting Absolutely. issues or having issues in our society. And you know, the statistics for just, just children being in foster care are through the roof for uh, being incarcerated and for being homeless. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers, but the last time my, me and my dad were talking about, he was telling me it's somewhere up, to, up upwards of 80% of the population that is incarcerated and homeless. Some at some point was involved in the foster care system. And that's not because foster care did them wrong. It's just because the situation that life and, and whatever, you know. But it was an opportunity for us to seize. Yes. yes. And to take that opportunity to make them better, to improve their health. Yeah. Oh, man. To just make a difference. Me. It's I, true. I feel helpless, man. It's true. I feel helpless. And, and I'll tell you, man, like even when I first you just started getting involved in, in hearing the, the extreme things that were going on, you know, I mean, just wild stuff that I, I was like, this is going on in. Phoenix, Arizona, the United States, what? Like, you know, like something like a devil worshiper sacrificing and just extreme stuff that you hear and you're like, I don't, what? I mean, I was, it just burst in my little bubble, you know, to the point to where like, we're talking about, you know, one of my neighbors went off the deep end one time when I told her or him that, um, you know, this is the kind of the stuff we deal with. And, you know, the kids that I I am with, I have 100% supervision and that's part of my job. What? And then they demanded. You're bringing him into our community? Yeah. Huh? Well, you're living here? Well, I'm going to stop, you know, construction on my house. And, I'm gonna, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How is this? To me, I was like, what do you, how is this about you? Like, this is what we need to do. This poor kid. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the demanding, have they ever killed anybody? Have they done, are they on medication? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't about you. Yes. <laughs> Immediately that fear response from him, you know, and I go into like this therapeutic mode that I go in with the kids with him. And after the conversation, I was like. Wow. Wow. This was, this was an adult. And, and I start thinking, did I tell him something I wasn't supposed to? Did I, you know, and, and that's the reactions that we get. This is happening. This is happening in Arizona. This is happening. These kids are experience, experiencing this level of trauma here in the United States. Oh man. I, 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 uh, I, you know, we're going to do something about it, man. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what we can do. A, a small start is, like uh, Mike said, DM him to get more information on how you could help. Absolutely. Uh, it's Mike underscore Team Philcraft. Team Philcraft. Yep. Um, you could DM me at Mike.A.Glover. Um, and we're going to figure out some solutions to help, man. Uh, you know, we, me and Kurt have been going around this idea to start a nonprofit for the last uh, year. And it's all based on, you know, our ability and time uh, with capital to be able to help and to leverage mm-hmm. and resource. But I think... The more I the more I see and talk to you about this issue, and the the and having the most effect, and the most impact on society in a positive way, it's this is the start point for yeah. us. Um, I don't even know if it's a nonprofit because I don't even want to be slowed 
down by an institution because I think just leveraging the networks and resources that we have, period, yeah. um, might be a, a, a start point. Uh, and then we could talk about the legalities later because I think, man, I, I just want to help, man. I, yeah. you know, my, my peer group, the military, they, they're big boys, big girls. They can handle themselves. Mm-hmm. It's, the, it's the young children who the don't – yeah. The defenseless mm-hmm. who don't have the advocates true. Um, that, are, that are taking care of them in the United States. We're not talking about the kids of another country who are poor. And I get that, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a time – you know, there's good people out there who are helping them, but we need more people to help – the children of of our own states, our own communities, our own country, um, and the, uh, hopefully this this episode has shined some light on that. Mike, man, you have a heart of gold, dude. You and your <laughs> wife you, are, are. I love you guys, and and I thank you for what you guys do on a daily basis. Your you know wife being a nurse, you you doing what you do, and you guys do it under your own roof yeah. with your own children, your own children who are, who are seeing this, exposed yeah. to it, yeah. are going to be better people. Because of it, I believe so. Yes. Uh, your parents that are involved in adopting and and how good of people they are as well, man. I, I appreciate you being on this episode. Oh, I'm honored to be here, bro. Seriously, if, it, if there's anything that I can do, I'm passionate about. You know, these little ones. They are, you know, like we said, they are defenseless. They they, they can't defend themselves. They can't even. They're not even at a point where they they're able to articulate certain things. So whatever we, you know, got to do, I'm, I'm with you, bro. Thanks, man. Stay tuned, guys. Well, PhilCraftSurvival.us or .com. Um, check out our social media, at PhilCraftSurvival. Stay tuned to this podcast, obviously. Um, when when we get to a point to where uh, we can get some dates, some times up to help, and you guys want to be involved, we'll announce it on social media. Thanks, guys. Till next time, stay alert. Stay, stay alive. alive.